And now, do you like Prince movies? Bro. I can't say that word. I have an allergic reaction to it. Whenever someone says that to me, I get really upset. But hello, uh, person who wants me to say that word to him, Alex Papadimus. Uh, I'm Wesley Morris, of course, and Alex has apparently caught Kanye fever yet again. Listen to the kids, bro. I'm just excited to be a millennial. That's what I'm really excited about, that I am also 38 years old and I get to be a millennial now. And I'd like to say that I'm I'm coming for your jobs, everybody. Well, you're pretty good at the job that you currently have. I wouldn't give that up. Since a lot of millennials would like to have your job. So just just I would say watch your back. I'm just full of entitlement. I don't even uh, now that I <laughs> I'm in this but new ca- demographic category. You I were also feel... full of self-respect. <laughs> I... Full of self-respect. Well, I mean, I had too much. That's my problem, right? I mean, you know, people yes. have been, been too good to me. As a as yes. a kid, babied. Uh, we're going to talk do about you like Prince movies. Welcome to Do You Like Prince movies. I am Alex Papadimus. <laughs> uh, and so yeah, we're going to talk about we're going to talk about Kanye West. We're going to talk about the VMAs in general, the Video Music Awards, um, and Kanye West in particular. We are going to talk about Miley Cyrus, the spectacle, and the these last minute recording artist. Um, and we're going to talk about the career of Wes Craven. Um, he died over the weekend at the age of 76 and we will, we'll just go through all the, all the pleasure he gave us and some of the headaches. But first, you talk about your belief in Mr. Lindis? No, but that's okay. And what does he say about what happened out there? Oh, you know. You haven't worried about it. Well, not really, no. What do you think? I think he has a plan, and all three of us are part of it somehow. Z for Zachariah, for anybody who doesn't know, is uh, a film uh, by Craig Zobel, who I think is a is a really interesting filmmaker. His first film, Great World of Sound, is love that movie. It's perfect. Um, it is. It's very funny and really fascinating and surprising. The second movie. I have equally strong feelings about, but exactly the opposite feelings. I hate compliance with every fiber of my being. Um, but I have to say, like, compliance is the kind of movie I actually want to go to the movies to see because it's still giving you something. I, I, I hate what it gives me. I reject it. But, I mean, it was, you know, I feel like when I was over, I felt like I had been through something. Um, and I liked that. Yeah, you had a real um, experience. Yeah. I mean, did that work? Did that movie work for you? No, but okay. I, I felt like I was watching a thing and I was like, I, I, I want to know what this person does next based on these two right. these two films. Right. I'm, I'm with you, Craig Zobel. I want to see where you're taking it. Right. But. So, so he takes it to, I mean, I would say that the problem with this movie, which is about uh, three people after basically the end of the world, some apocalyptic event has happened that has sort of decimated the country. There are pockets of people living all over the country, probably maybe even the world. Um, and we get to spend time in the pocket of life occupied by Margot Robbie, who is a Appalachian farm lady, wears a trucker's cap and 
pushes a wheelbarrow full of supplies from the abandoned town in her hazmat suit and she takes you don't know it's her actually my favorite reveal is that like cheryl teague's style i'm wearing this hazmat suit but you don't really know who's pushing it until the the wearer of the suit takes it off and reveals herself to be you know margot ruby um who i'm whose name whose last name i'm going to say about three different ways during them that's yeah um get it once And so she discovers that she is not alone. Um, she happens upon uh, another survivor who is wearing a much nicer hazmat suit, played by Chiwetel Ejiofor, who winds up sick uh, of radiation anyway. She nurses him back to health. He decides, I mean, there's, you know, there's some mutual attraction there. There's something brewing between them. And they also think they might be the last people. Well, he thinks they might be the last people around and therefore wants to, you know, repopulate humanity. I think this is one of those. This feels to me like that jungle fever problem, which is that like the actress is thinking one thing and the director and the star, the other, you know, the Wesley Snipes character, who in this case is Chiwetel Ejiofor, is thinking something. They're thinking something else. And, like, what she's doing as an actor is sort of contrary to what else is happening in the movie. <laughs> it's like the two of them are off doing this one thing, and Margot Robbie's doing something else. Um, anyway, they're, they have a thing, and it is sort of on the verge of, of... I mean, consummation is the wrong word. I mean, they're... They're on the they're on the verge of sort of falling in love and and and, and starting this family. He's a scientist, by the way, so he, and she's very religious. So they should be at philosophical and ideological odds. They kind of are, but not in a way that that makes a relationship between the two of them impossible. Then this third guy shows up, and if you've seen the posters, you know it's Chris Pine. And after eighty minutes, you're like, where is he? Um, not eighty minutes, probably more like seventy. Or an hour, but he shows up and throws throws a wrinkle into the plan, the sex plan, the love plan. But man, this is a really scared movie. Like it's very conventional. It's really afraid to be about whatever it is about. I can't tell you what it's about because the movie doesn't seem to know. Um, it's based on a young adult book uh, that is nothing to do with the movie we're watching. <laughs> Zero. It's based on um, Bridge to Terabithia, actually. <laughs> but they really made some departures from the text. Radical departures. Um anyway, I don't know. I was I was not I was never I was not bored. And you can definitely see the, uh, the crazy version of of this movie. Like I don't know what it is, but I mean you can see it. Like there's some there's some science fiction limb that it that it wants to go on but just doesn't ever go there. Yeah, that's the thing. I wanted I wanted it to go it's like it's it's a little bit it's just, it's reluctant to be the genre movie that it kind of could be. There's the materials are there and you want it I wanted it to be some kind somehow some kind of exploitation I didn't care what what it was going to be whether it was sci-fi whether it was sort of some kind of thriller because it's also not very it's 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 it, there's a lot of atmosphere and a lot of kind of acting workshop stuff but there's not a lot there's nothing that that tension never really it doesn't really go anywhere 
you know, between all these these three people. So I wanted it to be sort of like I was kind of like a, just you know a little have a little more blood in it or something. I don't know what it was, but yeah, I kind of sat there no. waiting for some waiting for that to pop off, and it never did. No, I mean there are all these ideas. There's so many ideas. This movie is ripe with ideas. And the most interesting thing I can say about it is whoever supervised the building of the wheel to power the there's no power. There's no electricity in, in her little village. And Dr. Chewie shows up to a tell to and he's this genius idea. She goes, I wish the generator was working. And he's like, you know, a light bulb goes off over his head. He's like, come on, give me a break, man. Who are you saying this to? I'm a, I'm a genius engineer. Yeah, he's like, a, I can rig this. He's like a civilian contractor from the from World War Three, uh, or something. Right. That was right. his, that was right. his job right. in World War Three was making paddle wheels or something like that. Also, there's a little bit. I I, I texted my wife from up, from upstairs because she had gone downstairs, and I was like, you're not missing anything. We do have a, a bit of a cold mountain accent situation on our hands. Mm. Which is pretty exciting. Margot Robbie, if you've ever watched like a Hunger Games movie and found Jennifer Lawrence to be somehow like attractive in a way that makes you feel like she's not really from a hard scrabble, uh, you know, uh, wilderness village where they have to, you know, rabbit sinew to live. Um, th- this is <laughs> Margot Robbie makes Jennifer Lawrence look like someone from like Dorothea Lang. It just doesn't make sense at all. And you mentioned that the trucker hat, it's really like, it looks like she's a model who's in disguise yes. for some reason. Yes. Yes. No. Cause the, I mean, it's funny cause you, I was, it's just unfair to her in some ways. Cause she does give what I would say is a, as a performance of integrity. Um, but you just never it ta- it's a it's a long haul to get to believing <laughs> to believing her in this part. No, and it's, it's like re- she's been alone in the woods for <laughs> a decade or something, right? Like it's been a long time, but she's camera it's, ready just in case. Just in case. You just never know. You just never know when that when that Chiwetel or that Chris Pine's going to show up. You just never know. Right, or like world-renowned fashion photographer Gilles Ben-Simon might come through the woods <laughs> in a hazmat suit. Just looking for new talent. I've been, I've been looking for you. I cannot believe you are here. And she whips off that hazmat suit and it takes off the trucker's cap and whips that hair. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this is the problem. Been... We are ta- This is what we're talking about, right? We're talking about like how good the 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 production design is on that on building on the building of of the taking of the wood to make they actually do build this contraption to get the water to power the village. It, 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 this is a movie that really should it should have been like somewhat devastating the things that the stakes that that uh, that occur here like the things you could have done like chris pine's magical appearance at the moment at which they realize they probably won't be able to pull off the bullet the building and rigging of this of this of this contraption alone i mean would she not have seen this guy's appearance as like a like a holy revelation i mean would there not be something slightly like christ like about him i don't know i just feel like I mean, that would sort of make her also a fool, but she's already kind of a fool. And so I, I I don't know. I just, you also saw, (laughs) yeah, you also saw, you saw a movie that, that is worse than this movie, but I mean, but it's only worse because that movie is actually trying to say something to me anyway. Like it's trying to, it's going for something. And so it's so miserably fails to get there. And that is 
We are your friends. Hey, you know, this party's looking a little stiff, Cole. So what are you saying? Maybe they amp it up? You could try, but this crowd doesn't dance before midnight. Okay. Rocking a party. Step one. Yeah, I wrote you. I wrote, I wrote you a text message. I said I saw I saw Z for Zachariah and Z for Zach Efron as a DJ. Um, I like this movie. I'm oh, apparently the up. only one, one of the few people in America who saw this movie on purpose and liked it. It made like four million dollars. It made something ridiculous. Less like than it. that, it made a million dollars. It made less than this was the factoid that I read. It made less than All Dogs Go to Heaven too. <laughs> Somebody who's looked at the lowest opening weekends, which is weird, right? Because this should be, this seems just like a, this seems like a, a big, just big fat, like you're trying to hit a volleyball with a wiffle bat or well, something. Somebody made the good. Uh, I think it was our our own John Lopez made the point in his in his weekly box office roundup that it could have just been bad studio thinking in that there the the target audience for this is like unpacking their like driving back to college basically. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I suppose, but I also I mean like we can we can spend our okay. First of all, stop. I'm I can't even let the league get buried on this. What? <laughs> I look. It's certainly the it's it's certainly very very flawed. There's a lot of things that don't work in it. But I like I like what it's trying to do. Okay, I like what it's trying to do the better same than page. Z for Zachariah. No, I just feel like it's. A, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed the experience of watching this. I responded to. I mean, you know, obviously, like I am not the target audience for this movie at all. Except uh, as a person who who digs Zac Efron and wants him to succeed. Yeah, we're. I mean, I don't hear any. I don't see any departure between us at the moment. Go on. Here's what. Here's what I think is interesting about this movie. I I think it reflects something that I imagine is, and I have to say, I imagine because I am not the person that this is you know, speaking to. But there must be something weird about being the age that these characters are and the age of the people who are supposed to be watching this movie. And Zac Efron wants to be a DJ. He spends a lot of time in this movie talking about how you just need, you just need one track. You just need mm. to make that one great track. Um, and we'll get to the one great track thing, which I uh, is hilariously bad at the end. But that idea that there are so few layers between you and that kind of success and how that sort of the, you know, the, 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 you know, amazing kind of material success that you can realize if you just invent an app or sell something online or something like that. That idea that like it's that it's I feel like it must be much more right there in front of you and therefore m much more difficult when you can't access it like that sort of uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Does no. That, does that make this sense? Is, of I, course it does. I this like is that. The I like that, that idea. I like the idea of it. It's like it's not Saturday Night Fever. It's not like you're standing there in Bayonne looking at the lights of Manhattan and thinking someday if I do this and this and this. It's like it literally like you could be instantly famous, but like you're just trying to crack that. And it's like you can't you can't do it. And it must be in some way worse and more difficult. And I feel like that does come across in this movie, which is in many ways very silly. Right. But. I would say that it, it it just doesn't do enough with that, and because you can see that movie right there, it's staring you in the face, and it's sort of the source of the of what I would say is a kind of ennui that this movie this movie has that, but it's slarded with so many stupid cliches and things I just don't care about, and 
you know, uh, this 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 there's this love plot between between the Zac Efron character, his name is Cole Carter. Which is just like the, Which is the a, best. It's a great. He was born. Name. He was born with a DJ name. Of course, right, he wants right. to be a DJ. It's yeah. Um, you know, it's it's just like he's he's stuck with this in this with this plot with with um, uh, Emily Ratajkowski, Arkowski. Sorry, sorry, Emily Ratajkowski. Ratajkowski. It's hard. It's hard. It's hard. It's not easy. Uh. And I don't get to say it frequently, but I like her enough to learn how to try. Like, she does have something. She has something, but it's like she has to be moving in order for it to be happening. And I think this is this is the problem with her and Zac Efron, frankly, in this movie. Like, why would you cast him to be a DJ? Well, all right, fine. But I mean, is it, <laughs> no, but we live in a world. No, but we live in a world where that's like he just this would have been a movie. You know, twenty years ago or something, it would have been you that know, would have been about dancing. It would have been about dancing, or like you know, being a rock guy or something. You know, being in a band. Yes. I, I just resented. Oh, go on. No, I, I, there's so I, many things. Like, <laughs> I, I really enjoyed Wes Bentley in this movie. I thought the okay, use of Wes these... Bentley just to be weird, like that—that's his now his role that he just kind of walks out of. Speaking of Hunger Games, tell me that when you saw the poster for Wes Bentley's character, who is a superstar DJ. And kind of a faded, he's you know he's a sellout and he's a drunk and like his basic like he has not he used to be great and he was an inspiration to Zac Efron and now he's just he's just cashing the checks man. But when you see the poster for his DJ tour and it's called the Pretense of Eternity tour, <laughs> you didn't at least kind of say all right at least somebody somebody, somebody knew. Every time I was never sad to see Wes Bentley show up on screen. For any of that stuff, <laughs> he's like quoting no, Emerson. No, I'm with you. And like, I'm like, with you. Instruments have soul, man. Well, right, but then like to take that statement. So, okay, the conversations the two of them have are really interesting, right? Like they, like they're two people trying to figure out which musical production philosophy is not only the best, but like the most authentic sounding for for them for each man respectively right that stuff is interesting to me the problem is that with a movie like this it is i mean it, it, when when the movie is so heavily premised right like here is here is the thing that needs to happen in order for this guy to become a success i i'm just not sure whether this movie knows that the that it's what it's culminating in this one song is is an embarrassing disaster <laughs> that and, is true and and that the performance like the 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 filmmaking that presents that the unveiling of that moment is also a fiasco i don't know whether the movie understands that there's no triumph in any of that like the song sucks the presentation of the song sucks. The reaction to the presentation of the song and the song sucks. It's all bad. It's. I mean, he goes because it, 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 I think it's actually a fair. It's it's a fairly realistic treatment of the EDM world in terms of just logistics and what things look like. And then all of a sudden, 
He's got one track. I mean, like you, you understand. You think you know what they mean by one track? That's like, oh, you have to be, <laughs> you're gonna be like, you know, Skrillex, and like you have one track that like breaks through from your five song EP that introduces right, you to right, the world, right. and then eventually an album follows. No, it's literally like you gotta have one track. It's like no, actually, like DJs spin for like nine hours, dude. Like <laughs> you need to have more than one track. That's the don't we don't mean that literally, Amelia Bedelia. Like you, so there's a scene. He makes his one track. And and it's you know it's it's a, the the most sort of obvious way you could have somebody put themselves into their music is like actually sampling like their you know their buddies' voices and like the you know the staple gun you've seen the trailer people you know what I'm the, talking about the 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 Vonage commercial he basically makes to, in the recording of this record. yeah I mean look that stuff is embarrassing it's like literal it's just it's it, it's it's whatever but the and and then th- that basically there is a totally silent rave crowd just standing at attention in downtown Los Angeles waiting for the opener to spin the first song of his set. Yeah. They're just standing there just very very attentive not even throwing beach balls around and just waiting to just, just to get off when Zac Efron gets up there. Okay, I mean that's uh, that's totally ridiculous. Uh, you know, there's But stuff- isn't it yeah. No, I know. It's Look, just, it's like Mr. Holland's opus. It's like the the opus in Mr. Holland's opus is not good and it ruins all of Mr. Holland's opus retroactively. Like you just not right. you just are suddenly like, oh, it's bad. And it's like, oh, Mr. Holland put electric guitars in the opus. Like there's a moment like that, you know, Yeah, but when the opus sounds like, you know, like an American Airlines commercial, as somebody <laughs> once said, like, uh, fine, fine. I, I respond to. I think there's some effective things going on. I think it has – it's like as a treatment of this world, it could be so much worse. I like the Bridge and Tunnel LA aspect of it. I like the metaphor of that they spend all their time in an empty – trying to clean this empty swimming pool and which is such a – you know, it's like it's, it's a metaphor for how you are constantly close to but far away from sort of the trappings of wealth and privilege in yes. a city like this. I'm Look. with all of that. I – you know – you're not. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. Oh, I know. I'm not wrong. I, <laughs> I, I the the thing is, the thing is, I'm with you because the things that you legitimately like about this movie, I wanted to like more because they are so fer- like it's such a fertile landscape for a great movie based around this very premise with these same people and maybe even these same actors doing the same stuff. But with a director who is not Max Joseph with a script that he didn't write with Megan Oppenheimer about that, you know, I mean, you think about Saturday Night Fever, sure, you think about The Graduate, but there's, there is this thing that, that, is, that is sort of untapped with this idea of what privilege is and what, what constitutes success in 2015, like this kind of success that, you, that you're right is constantly, like it is, you are, stand, you have the equipment you you have the devices to to put you over and become successful, but really, like all these four guys are missing are like their Mark Wahlberg. You know what I mean? Like they're missing the the Vinny Chase to like to whose coattails they can ride if they can't actually do something on their own. Um, and yeah. I like the idea that these are guys who'll never find a Vinny Chase. And like, what is that? What is that? Or they'll never invent Instagram. So then what? No, I mean, that's that's the thing, because it has to at some point. And I remember thinking this. I remember enjoying the moment when this was the case and then feeling like, oh, this is this is going to stop being the case at some point. And then it obviously does. I remember up until 
the moment that that, that that it sort of changes over, liking the fact that Zac Efron was not being portrayed as some kind of like Luke Skywalker of EDM, you know, that he's just he's out there and he's yes, making the yeah, greatest yeah, tracks. Yeah. I like the idea that he might be mediocre and that that's the you know that that's sort of you know that's the better movie right is that he's yes. not actually it's yes. not like Wes Bentley discovers him is like you got a real ear for filters my man you know like <laughs> or whatever it is like Emerson said you got to put you got to put more filters on your bass lines like uh, which is basically what happens uh, I like that part before that happens because you're just thinking about what if this guy's maybe he's not great and maybe like the you know the him and his friends like they're just trying to make it with everything you know with without you know, I, yeah. what's it what's it like when you can do anything because you have the same thing in your equipment in your laptop that Skrillex has, but you're not as good. Right. And so I would like to see the Paul Schrader version of that movie. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Where like Paul Schrader is like he knows before he's even when he's writing the script that he wants this guy to be mediocre or maybe even bad. Right. And or like it's not even that Zac Efron is bad. He knows he has demonstrated a competency that is at least it'll at least get him it'll at least have him if he wants to be a DJ it'll get him a career it just he just won't be a superstar and and is, is the question then is is that good enough for him like I would like I mean I don't know there's so many places this movie could have gone and it doesn't really get to any of them and you know the shortcuts that it takes to try to get you involved with it like you know getting into stuff that it would that, Goodwill hunting and, and kids have already done. I, I don't know. And there's I don't a know. Lot of, I just. I mean, we were talking last week about American Ultra and the '90sness of American Ultra. There's a very. There's a lot to, to the a lot of the sort of text on screen and direct address narration and animation and stuff like that. There's a lot of that kind of antsy. I'm going to get you excited about this movie any way that I can. Right. Stuff right, which right. I guess is it's also it's another thing of like I am not the target audience. I you know. I have, but apparently there is no target. <laughs> that's yeah. Well, that's the weird part is it's it's all these people don't go see movies who are trying to you know that that might be the that might be the problem. I'll just say lastly that I I will, I feel bad for Zac Efron. I can't believe I'm saying this. Um, I mean, you and I are both people who like him very much and believe in him um, as a as a potential as a, as a person who just hasn't been figured out yet. And I am I really encourage somebody like the Lee Daniels and Seth Rogans of the world to not give up on him. Um, you know, I feel like he was he was best when he was working with those two people. Um, he's going to do a neighbors, too. I think he should appear on Empire. <laughs> um, he can he can play Cole Carter on Empire. I'm sure that they'll have figured that out at that point, how to how to turn him into like a like a Mark Ronson uh, Diplo sort of guy, but anyway, uh, I, I I I I did not like this movie. I think it's bad, but I feel like it's bad mostly because unlike Z for Zachariah, as you said, it is really trying to not be bad. It is it is going for something, and it just doesn't have the intellectual. It doesn't have the sort of social perception, and doesn't. It's not smart enough to get there. Um, uh, but I think anytime Zac Efron and Emily Ratajkowski are moving, like physically moving with each other, it's pretty nice. We'll be right back to talk about the Video Music Awards and Miley Cyrus. Sometimes I feel like, you know, all this they run about beef and all that. 
Sometimes I feel like I died for the artist's opinion. For an artist to be able to have an opinion after they were successful. I'm not no politician, bro. And yet, he did. He did make. And look at that. Quite the political statement. Not only did he make a political statement, he ended his not being a politician (laughs) by saying he'd be running for office in 2020. But he wasn't a politician up until that moment. It was true when he said it. He he. But but listen. (laughs) Okay. I'm amazed you can parse anything out of that, except you did. I mean, that is that's the moment of that speech, right? That is I mean, of all the stuff that he said that to me, I mean, that struck me the most significantly. You know, what's funny is the story that came out of the show was not Kanye West's video Vanguard Award speech. It was Miley Cyrus's ongoing backhanded racism and Nicki Minaj, you know, sliming her Nickelodeon kid style. Um, well, he's, I don't know. It's weirdly, I mean, this whole show felt like a, an attempt to kind of recycle these, these moments from the very recent past. And so you give Kanye an award and you have Taylor Swift present it so that there will be a full circle moment back to the crazy Kanye interrupts Taylor Swift, which is the moment of it's it's the beginning of the modern era of Taylor Swift, you know, because it's the it's mm-hmm. it's like let's you know, let's bring out Miley, who is the source of so much controversy. Let's make her the host this year and all of the, the insane outfit changes. It's just it's 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 like, please pay attention to this show. Please go viral. Something right. please no. go viral. Like anything, anything at all, like we're gonna do a crazy instagram selfie but that's also a recycled moment from the past it's like they can't even make any new award show culture they have to just right. sort of trade on to recycle yeah previous things so like that's the lame part and like the weird thing about the kanye rant is like if you have anybody who's not been fortunate enough to see the amazing uh, yeezus tour when it has come to their town or if it hasn't come to your town there is a part of that show where he spontaneously rants, but it's like, all right, at 11.47, Kanye's going to spontaneously rant for 18 minutes. So we've got light cues, we've got the whole thing. like, And this was kind of like, we're going to block out a chunk of this show. We don't know what Kanye's going to say, but he's going to do some, like MTV's like, this part, we can put our feet up. Because Kanye's going to say some crazy stuff. And it's going to go viral, and it's like we don't have we don't. That's the one part of the show that we don't have to worry about. And you can kind of tell that he's he's not sure what to do in that in that moment. And that's how you get to. I feel like he doesn't know how to get out of there, so he announces he's running for president. Right? No, like that's fair. The way out of that the way out of that room. I mean, I I sort of I didn't I felt like on a sentence by sentence basis. I was I agreed with most of the things that he was saying. <laughs> right, but if you okay, look, I we can't even do this. I'm not going to do this to him because he's not that kind of person. He does not stand up to 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 diagramming or like paragraph making. The point is it was the stump said speech to, that he kind of gives though, right? right? It's the same thing. Right. It's about yes. it's about yes. you know the artists his you know standing up for artists. He apologized to Taylor Swift a little bit or at least acknowledged the contradiction of 
standing up for artists by putting another artist down. I don't know. I like it's that part of it was okay because the actual the intro this or the Taylor Swift intro that whole that that was horrible. That stuff was no, really it was bad. bad. And her standing next to Kim Kardashian as he gives the as she gives as he gives the, as his speech. It was very uncomfortable to me. There's this moment where she looked where Kim Kardashian looks up at Taylor Swift and Taylor Swift is looking down at her and Kim Kardashian nods and I just it just kind of like this whole show made my stomach hurt so much well i look it's also it's a weird i'm not like taylor swift has now passed into the rooting for ibm stage of the <laughs> career where it's just like there's no there's no joy in it there's no like yeah t- like she just has to dominate everything so completely and like this this show is such a coronation for her but yeah listen though i feel like that's really interesting because i feel like i don't i mean look i don't know what happens in her head i don't know what she's thinking but there is like just looking at it culturally i wonder whether or not like this version of her would have been possible were it not for what kanye west did that's what i mean by by full circle yeah i mean he sort of accidentally crowned her in that regard yeah oh totally because it would yeah no I, i i agree i agree and there was but there was something about the way that this worked, that everything was framed in a Taylor Swift context, including the Kanye thing, like that there was no it was like technically we're recognizing Kanye for a bunch of videos that MTV didn't really play that much of. The night was about beef, right? Like the night was about it began in beef. It ended in beef. It culminated in beef. If you're a vegetarian, I don't know what you were going to do. You probably watch Show Me a Hero instead. But I think that there's a way in which the this idea that that you kind of have to you have to have you you can't speak about what other artists are doing and what is good or bad about other art or other culture i, I don't know that's sort of i mean in some way that's what you want you want like the the thing that was so great about that Tarantino Q&A last week was that it was an artist who it was a person who practices who actually practices the art of filmmaking commenting on other people's films and talking about what he likes and what and what is interesting to him and i think that if you can be somewhat constructive or like be able to like explicate if you can practice criticism at as at a, as it should be practiced uh, I don't see what the real problem is. I mean, it's not as though people aren't going to take Quentin Tarantino's phone calls now because he said that Ben Affleck's The Town is is the less authentic movie versus you know David O. Russell's American Hustle. Um, and I think the thing that that sort of makes Kanye an exciting person is that he will speak his mind about. I mean, well, anything really, but I mean, he has the most sort of exalted platform for a kind of popular culture criticism, which is interrupting people at award shows. But then he objects to the award show model on its face, right? He thinks it's ridiculous that you can have five people gathered together to be sent home, four of whom will be sent home losers at the end of the night. That he objects to as well. But that in itself is a weird kind of criticism, too. Well, this I mean, is, it's yeah, but that's the Kanye thing. That's the essence of Kanye's that is is his obsession with and his objection to like any kind of gatekeepers of any right. of anything like and it's it, it's that's that's the way he is with fashion. It's like I don't I like it, it's the but way what that, if he was being let into this? What I mean, OK, so this is my question. 
because this is a philosophy now, right? Like he is, he is practicing a philosophy. What would it mean if he, if the fashion world had just welcomed him the way, you know, they, they welcomed Puffy, you know, the way you would lose interest. He would lose interest. Yeah. Oh, or like, what if he won? What if he won all those Grammys? I, it would cease to be. I think he is somebody who, for whatever reason, needs to be. He, he seeks out these areas where he can have an oppositional relationship to the thing that he's trying to participate in, in a way that's not. He just. It's. I think he it, he distrusts like those those spaces that open up to welcome him because I think he has a he has a perception of the world that doesn't that that doesn't fit with. But he's. I think it's just. It just seems like he's constantly looking for. And I say this all the time. I've said this all the time about him. I'm so, you know, I, I, I wrote this thing and nobody read it. I'm constantly trying to read it back into the congressional record. So I'm sorry. But which is what? Well, I think that he's, you know, that there's something about it. You know, it, it, it might be the, the sort of honestly, I think it might be the politics that he was raised with and the sort of sense of, you know, like how political action works. I think he's a smart and perceptive enough guy to recognize that it's not. That your struggle to be in the fashion world is not the same as the civil rights movement, and yet there are parallels that he perceives between those two things. And I think he looks for it's like finding room to resist. It's like where is the where is the 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 door that's locked that I can push on rather than the door that is just opens to me and the the revolving door that Puffy goes through. You know, like where is that thing? And like honestly, weirdly politics makes sense as one of those things even well, though that's of, a ridiculous thing like he clearly is like I'm t- i don't know how to get out of here <laughs> i need a mic drop and like what is an appropriate what's a worthy mic drop and the worthy mic drop is not like uh, like check out my album swish draw you know comes out tomorrow or whatever it is like it, it needs to be bigger than that so you have to you have to do that but i can yeah. see you know I can see but that. he already is a politician. He's been in, like an insurgent politician. He's been like a third party candidate his entire career. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. He was Trump before Trump. He just wasn't running for office. He was Ross Perot. He was he was Ron Paul. I mean, he was he's Bernie Sanders. He was doing all of this stuff already. And I think the more famous he got, the the more detached from the reality of what made those early moments so exhilarating. He's not that this energy is completely turned on him now and the fight yeah. that he's the thing he's fighting no, sure. for isn't isn't social in any way it, it up it uplifts no one but kanye well that's and, the, yeah that's i mean that's the paradox of it right that like that's that he can only sort of see it in those in those terms or that, that that's you know that he yeah it's a complete bastardization of of the of the of the like grassroots politics that he grew up around do you know what I mean? It's a complete misapprehension of how they work. And I'm not saying he's wrong for doing it because he's actually I don't. Well, I mean, I, asked, I am saying he's wrong for doing it. I don't see, like it. Yeah, see, it I'm not bothers thinking, me. I'm OK. I mean, look, no, you're told. And, and that's fi- yeah, that's fine. I mean, like, I'm not even thinking about it in terms of like, is it right or wrong for him to do it? I'm just thinking about what's the psychology that leads to this. Right. But this is a person, Alex, who's obsessed with rightness and wrongness and whether it's delusional or legitimate. It is a concern for him. And part of gatekeeping, part of the the nature of gatekeeping is inherently a question of what is right or wrong or good or bad as deemed by either the gatekeeper or the person kept on the other side of the gate. Right. So, I mean, this this sort of this, this these black and white 
yes or no's are really what motivate him, if not as an artist, then definitely as a person in the world of art. That somebody is, he needs to be told no in order to get excited. I think that's what I'm saying. No, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm just saying that I think it's wrong for him to frame the no's he gets in the rejections he receives as as somewhat akin to the civil rights movement. And I'm not saying that there's no racism involved in I know. in, no, in, the, in yeah. a lot of how we respond to him because there is. That story that he told with like, I mean, if, okay, think about this. What if he prepared his speech? The grocery store story you're telling me you mean? No, that story. And then he mentioned being booed at a baseball game, the mm-hmm. 45,000 right, people right. that booed him at a Cubs game or whatever. Right. I don't know that it was a Cubs game. I just threw that out there. Uh... I don't even know if it's true, but whatever. If it if it happened, it would have been great for him to actually find a way to tell a story that in that like took all of his preoccupations and his concerns as both a man, an American, a black man, and an artist. And I mean, and give a speech. I mean, this like throwing this throwing of stuff. This like. This this sort of tweet aspect of 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 speech giving for him is kind of exasperating in the same way that we are your friends was exasperating for me, and it's it'd be so much more interesting to assemble all that so much into something coherent and something that stood for something. And I don't think Kanye standing for himself is interesting enough to me anymore. And it just I don't know. I'm really frustrated. <laughs> That's fair. That's that's and fair. I mean, it is he true did, he did he didn't know he was going to win. This is also it's also talk about the sort of cannibalization or the sort of recycling of award show moments. This is this is a direct 2013 redo as well, in in a lesser way, lesser more less powerful way to me anyway. Um, where you had that amazing moment where where Marley Cyrus does she comes out and does we can't stop. And she has the twerking women behind her and it's all appalling because it's a, you know, what is, you know, it's a complete, uh, you know, mockery accidentally or otherwise of black women, their bodies, how we've been trained to think negatively about them in, in light of how we've been trained to think positively about people who look like Miley Cyrus. And that is followed. Then she goes and does the song with Robin Thicke, that is immediately followed by Kanye coming out and doing Blood on the Leaves. And that, to me, it will always be one of the great, one of the top five moments in live television I've ever seen. Where you have something that is like inherently sort of institutionally racist, followed by, you know, also, you know, marriage destroying if you're Robin Thicke, partially anyway. (laughs) Followed by uh, just like this great live performance of a song that, you know, to me had no sort of social value that is immediately imbued with it just by stage design, uh, stage presence, and and the awareness that it follows this this mess that happened before it. That is a great moment. And. You know, instead you have this show that like really had no shape and it had no, I don't know, it had no like sort of uh, 
artistic spine? I mean, the artistic spine is the attempt to create viral phenomena by putting people together who are going to have some kind of beef. I mean, that weird, the Nicki Minaj Miley thing, I'm amazed that people are taking that as seriously as they're taking it because it just like seemed, do you think it's do you think it's staged oh kayfabe to the nth degree oh, wow okay yeah i mean i don't know i don't it's weird because i kind of didn't did not i don't care but i mean uh, i see I mean, miley did say that stuff i mean oh, yeah. that wasn't staged we should like transition now to talk a little bit about about um about Miley Cyrus, but I just there there was one thing I did find really depressing slash interesting slash kind of fun, which was the Macklemore Ryan Lewis, you know, with his with his you know all star rapper Hall of Fame friends doing like giving beef to Bruno Mars and Mark Ronson and that video for no reason, calling the song Downtown F you man. And, like, getting these great rappers to, like, be his homies the way Bruno Mars has homies in Uptown Funk, I just was like, are you kidding me? And, like, they agreed to do it, but I guess if you're Grandmaster Flash and you're Kumo D, like, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. It's fine. I mean, there should be a moment where you just have Kumo D and, 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 you know, whoever else, Big Daddy Kane and Grandmaster Flash or whatever, have them all come out and just, like take everybody to school um yeah. instead you have to watch you have to sit there and watch miley cyrus call snoop dogg her mammy like yeah those are horrible i fast forward we're like I, you know we're about to don't worry we're about to say a bunch of positive things about miley cyrus or i am but those things are horrible those things like those those sketches the things where somebody's trying to be funny and it's like you can just tell that there's like 18 comedy writers locked in a room coming up with instagram jokes at gunpoint, presumably. At anyway, gun, at gunpoint, there's a case of Lacroix water and, and a bunch of guns. <laughs> just like, be funny. Write some stuff for Andy Samberg to say. I don't know who actually wrote it. I could have. I, I, I didn't watch the credits. It says. It always says. But this brings us to the crowning irony of this whole thing. Yeah, it's another bad award show. But, but oh wait, what's your crowning irony? Hold on. My crowning irony is that the Miley Cyrus last minute record drop is amazing. It's awesome. Have you? If you've not checked this out, it's on SoundCloud. I don't know if by the time you hear this, it will be available in some other format, but it's on SoundCloud, which is on the web, and you know, there's an. I recommend listening to it that way, just because you get the you get the you get the visual. You get every if you check if you look at your device, however you're listening to SoundCloud. um, There, you know, you get a nice little image of of her. Of her, not nice little image like yeah, it's my. No, I just she's like I like dro- the, she's like drooling ice cream with glitter in it or right, something. Right, it's, you know we're, we've been told it's ice cream. <laughs> I mean, yes, no, we're obviously. I put nothing past this woman at this point, and this is the thing about her. Like, I really don't like her. I really don't like her. I think she is like a like she is a like a bad dog that somebody needs to take out back and apply a newspaper to like immediately or to like take her nose and rub it in all the like excrement that she leaves everywhere she goes. And yet as an artist in a recording studio, she is great. She's, I mean, you can't, I I mean, you can dismiss some of it, but I mean, I think she is a really interesting recording artist. That is all she should be allowed to do. But and so it makes it really hard to reckon with 
how good this album is. It makes it, it's hard for me to reconcile how good this album is with all the crap that she does when she's not in a recording studio. Because there's like, well, you can talk about this record. I mean, well, I mean, what I would say about, well, to the first thing, it, what's it called? It's Miley Cyrus and her pets and her dead pets with a and Z, her dead pets, which is like bangers with a Z is dead pets right. with a Z. It is inspired in part by a mystical experience that she had after At burning the, man. The, no, <laughs> But, it, like but she it? is a Burning Man. There is, there is this. This record is is, is better than Burning Man. Uh, but no, she had a mystical experience after her the death of her dog, where she I think she experienced like her dog's spirit entered her body or something like that. Um, she's being very open about uh, you know uh, the, all of the drugs that she does on this record, which is cool. Um, yeah, so I just feel like if you're that. telling me you're doing a lot of drugs, by the way, that's my one thing about this record is. I don't know. It's like well, okay. Would Kanye speak if Kanye had not taken that moment? If Kanye had not announced, I know I didn't like that, that either. Speech that he was stoned, which I'm not even sure. I don't even know that I believe that. Necessarily. I don't believe it. I don't. Although he it. was, if you watch it on headphones, I listened to it on headphones uh, to pick out the clip for the show, and you can he he is there is some cotton mouth happening. So he's either dry mouth because he's on stage talking, or he yeah. or there's some other factors in place. I think anyway. that with with Kanye and Miley both, I think what you see is that the that award the the award show and the sort of culture that it represents and the kind of the the discourse that it represents and the discourse that it is kind of the the apex of is ultimately a very limiting space for an artist, no matter how you come at it. Even if you're Kanye and you come at it as like I am a revolutionary and I'm going to you know, sort of, I'm going to seek out and ident- and point at systemic racism wherever I see it, and blah 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 blah, all that stuff. It's it's ultimately a very narrow space in which to do that. And you, what happens is, no matter what happens, you just are immediately reinfolded into viral culture that means yes. nothing. Yes. So it's like the minute he's off stage, you then cut to Miley being like that Kanye. What a cra- what a what a goofball! Like it's just like she like it's just you know it's ultimate everything is like it just quickly is like oh now we're back we're reconciled like Kanye's the wacky neighbor and like he just said some crazy stuff he had a crazy rant and like let's like, let's ignore any sort of content of like what was there so there's that and like I feel the same way with Miley it's like there's I I think that she really wants to be interesting and she's sort of working within. Uh, like there, you know, there's just these shackles on her in terms of like how interesting you can be in that space because no matter what, it's going to be, it's going to be like, you know, it, it, it will be received by the, you know, the dumb machine as like one of, you know, a certain kind of thing. Right. So this is, I, I that's why I like this record because I feel like this is a, you're right. She's doing the thing that she's best at, but B it's, it, it exists outside of that format in some way even mm-hmm. though it's it's you know you release a vi- you sort of drop a record surprise record at the end of an award show it's not like you're you know sl- sneaking something into the marketplace or anything it's supposed to be a viral phenomenon but it's also just it's it's it has that mixtape quality it has that sort of you know i'm like that you know drake if you're reading this quality where it's like this is what i was thinking about this month and here's a, here's the song here's a bunch of songs that I made and I didn't sort of sit there and fret over it and try and make it into you know 
a yeah. masterpiece necessarily. And I think that yes. makes for better things because I actually don't. I think I think Bangers is kind of spotty. I think there's some good stuff I, on it. There's some good songs on it, but this is. But there's also no unifying. There's nothing that unifies that record. Do you know what I mean? It's a bunch of songs by different producers. Um, I don't think Pharrell didn't do the whole album, right? I mean, it's a, it's different people. Yeah, it's all different people. Yeah. Um, and I feel like this album, I, I, I mean, I only, I've only listened to it one and a half times, uh, which is four, not the normal. It's 400 minutes long. so that you're, right. you're, you know. I mean, yeah, there's 27 songs on it. It's like 23. Some of them are, um, it's like, there's like 19 full songs, I feel like, and there's a couple of, you know, things. But my point is just like there's a there's something unifying this record. There's a sound, there's a kind of consistent sound through all of it. There is a real her pushing outward to me like as as introspective-ish as this record is. There's a real pushing outward um musically. I think you know, she has this great instrument of a voice that she is sort of modulating in some way. And you can hear all of these. You can hear her. I mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm pretending I can hear her thinking about Drake and, and Beyonce and, you know, PJ Harvey and some other people. Like, just people like people who kind of, I mean, Beyonce is sort of not part of this. But, I mean, people who don't really have a lot to to lose. Well, I mean, I, I'm phrasing this wrong because, I mean, I guess Beyonce would be one of those people. But you're basically doing this thing you feel like you have to get out of your system and if it works or whether it works or not if if you're saying that she, this record was inspired by a mystical experience involving one of her dead pets okay um but i mean it it has brought something out in her that is both new and interesting and not terribly far from this public cartoon character that she plays now but she but that but that person had, to me has some padding and a soul and 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 some talent and is surrounded by people who musically kind of want to see her through to to complete this expurgation i guess is the only word i can think to describe this i mean you know this is an album um do you remember jack logan do you remember do you ever remember yes. him yeah this to me this reminds me of like it reminds me of Jack Logan in a lot of ways too. Yeah, I mean that's what it almost. I mean when I say mixtape, it's like we now have a different definition of that, you know. But I don't, and I don't think this isn't like like the Beyonce record is just a Beyonce record that didn't have a bunch of advertising and a bunch of run up to it, right? Like it's it's in every other respect, right? But it's I mean it also Beyonce was record. it also, but I mean it also for me or anyway, like it was a, it was a real corner turn in that. It was introspective. You felt like she was singing about actual things as opposed to concepts um, and reacting to actual experiences as opposed to like these sort of bumper sticker ideas that you can take and turn into a really great song. Um, totally, but it, it felt personal to me. But I'm not right. But it's very different from what from what the Smiley said. You could have put is. out that Beyonce record with a six month promotional campaign ahead of it, and you know, sort of whatever, and it just and, and it really, would have done just as well. You, that could have gone through the machine, and it would have been fine. This feels like something that couldn't, and it's like it's it's weird. It's like not on her. It doesn't count toward her contract. Apparently, it's just they're like you can put this out. We're not gonna. So it's in, it's it's weird because she's not. It's not like she's saying like here's here here Miley Cyrus fans. Here is what I'm doing now. Take it or leave it. Hope you like our new direction. It's kind of it. 
it, it gives you permission to ignore it in a way, but it also that permit like by giving, you know, the audience that it's like she's given herself permission to kind of, you know, do whatever in a really cool way. I like that. It's I mean, because it's 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 this is it's half basically it's half Wayne Coyne and half Mike Will made it. Which is a really right. great combination. That's a of great things. tandem of. I mean, they're not a tandem, but I mean, it creates this interesting side one, side two ish thing uh, on this record. Yeah, and like there's the, the the Mike Will songs are actually pretty weird for Mike Will songs. You know, they're like they're they're sort of there's like disco songs and kind of like very Euro kind of things. Like, I, I, it's it it's really exciting. Just, just from moment to moment, I, I like what she's doing. Like you mentioned, like yeah, she's doing different things with her voice. She's really exploring like the kind of androgynous capacities that that really husky mm-hmm. voice has. So there's a lot mm-hmm. of things where it's you know she's thinking about you know you you can just I don't know you can see her doing that. It feels. Did you see that thing that video of her and Laura Jane Grace and Joan Jett doing the androgynous by the replacements? Have you ever seen that? No. That is, it's really, it's really cool. It's, you know, and it's, it's, it's the three of the, you know, you know, the replacement song I'm talking about, right? It's the ballad. Yes, 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 yes. And it's, yeah, you just, you're seeing her because it's, it's, that that voice is a weird instrument, right? Like Mm -hmm. nobody really, it's, it was such like, you couldn't tell on the old songs necessarily on those, you know, back when she was doing, you know, like, you know, party in the USA and stuff, it was just mixed in a way that didn't, you know, but she's actually, she's like, if you leave, if you leave this alone, or if you just kind of put reverb on it, like there's all kinds of processing on all these vocals, but like there's, she's, she's just using how, what a strange voice that actually is, you know, coming out of this tiny person in a way. Wait, are you saying really cool. this, that the vocals on this album were really processed? Sometimes some of them. Yeah, sometimes they are. I just but I also feel like they're they're not that processed and I like that too. Well, it depends. There's some that just sort like you know, there's always even like the song that would just be like a, you know, me and my acoustic guitar has like weird noises on it, you know. So everything is treated in in some way. But yeah, no, she's just she it, it's I just feel like it's an interesting record vocally and I've only listened to it like once all the way through. So there is there is that. Yeah, I mean there's that aspect going on with it, but yeah, no, it's, it's, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I'm excited that this is, you know, the, the direction that she's going in. And I wonder, it makes me really curious and excited to see what happens when she makes the quote unquote real Miley Cyrus record that I assume she owes RCA or whoever it is and like what that's going to be and like how she will, how she will come back to from, from this and how she will fold, you know, that, whole thing into it i don't know i've just never i've never even though that performance that award show performance was terrible and like our you know emily yoshida formerly of grantland wrote about it like a thing about it the sort of being a career torpedoingly bad which i would not go that far it was pretty terrible but then i listened to this record and as i'm listening to this record i've never liked her more than i do right this second no it's that's exactly i feel the same way that you feel and i and i it's weird because i don't even hate myself for i think whatever is quote wrong with her and i'm not like like concern trolling her at all but i mean this the this sort of public version of her is is a is a problematic person and i think it's a sort of psychologically problematic person she is culturally problematic she is i mean the thing about the Nicki minaj moment at that show was somebody had to say it even if it was scripted do you know what i mean mm-hmm. somebody at least had to perform opprobrium in her direction and it had to be somebody as famous as she is and it had to be a black person and it had to be a black woman with a big ass like it just it's just 
she needs that has to happen and i feel like that is if nothing else came out of that kanye west speech i hope it does open artists up to be i mean miley cyrus was talking like she was talking about like the world in which she she's an artist i feel like it should free people to not talk about other people but just to like talk about the work that they do or when they cross a line to talk about when miley cyrus crosses a line but I feel like listening to this record, it really, it doesn't absolve any of that, but it just reminds you, it A, reminds you why, she, you know, one of the things that sort of brought her to this point, which is that she is talented and adventurous, and it also reminds you that she should just keep doing that. Just stay away from award shows and, you know, some black people. There's, no, <laughs> there's nothing there for you. In the award show but, world right but i mean what this is, is the other thing right i mean there's there is this discrepancy between her being like familiar with black culture and actually knowing an actual black person no i mean look that's yeah that's totally true and yeah you're right i mean she should be she should be checked for that and it's it's funny though because obviously it, it, it gets cast as i mean this was a thing on twitter and they went and changed it but like the the salon tweet about it like it gets cast like a, a, a savage expletive laden rant by Nicki Minaj as if Nicki Minaj like just oh, got up no. there. They, really? They said that? Yeah. And then they sort of, then somebody was like, mm, yeah, savage is kind of a loaded word in this context. Salon, you know, like, and they, they, you know, they went back cause that's the, I mean, that's, that's the, you know, the, the thing it's like, you know, once you're, when you're characterizing everything as a rant, but also like what gets characterized as a rant, you know, somebody, somebody, and then somebody posted the Miley thing, like her sort of initial quotes. And was like, this looks like a rant to me. Like, you know, Fair enough. But it's like, yeah, it's, it's just weird that like, it, you know, we need we're not going to be all the way there. And I guess that's what Kanye's saying in a way, like until Nicki Minaj can come back at Miley for saying things like that. And it doesn't get it doesn't it's not described as if like she's a homeless person walking in off the street who's like starts right, yelling, right. you know, like whatever. Yeah. Who's this soy bomb who comes in and exactly exactly about it's our like, host. She, yeah. She's while the, she's hosting one of the most how dare she come into her master's house of our time. Yeah, totally, right, yeah, totally, totally, yeah. totally, totally, totally. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But that's the thing. It's like it is a dumb culture. It's like this. It, it, it's a dumb sort of zero sum culture where it's like just somebody wins, somebody loses. And it's like, you know, that, like that's what. I don't know. It's just it's it, it's weird because it's you are by criticizing it though you are just you're still participating in it and I and I think that's the you know the thing that Kanye is probably struggling with and that we're all struggling with I guess I suppose. Well, but yeah, no, it's weird. It's weird because there's a, like I get as queasy as anybody else does with certain certain aspects of the the Miley Cyrus award show self presentation. But then you know I think like this is quality work. I well, like this. Yeah, I mean, a lot. This is yeah. I mean, also the Instagram. I mean that's voluntary as well, but I mean anyway this this record is really good, um, and uh, I I can't believe it. Uh, we'll be right back to talk about Wes Craven briefly. To avoid fainting, keep repeating to yourself: it's only a movie, only a movie, only a movie, only a movie. Last house on the left. Now, in fairness, that is Wes Craven. That's the trailer for Wes Craven's Last House on the Left. Wes Craven died uh, over the weekend, the age of 76, um, of brain cancer. And this was his first movie as a writer and a director. came out in 1972, his Last House on the Left. 
you you it's funny because i don't know if, if i saw that if i'd seen that trailer and then i'd gone to see the movie i'd be i'd be bewildered yeah it's that's not a, that it's it's a very different movie than the trailer is making it up no it's a traumatizing movie it feels like something that somebody found in yeah. a shed and yeah put on a screen that should not have been seen by people. And it, it has that, I think a lot of, there's a lot of movies that have, have gone for that effect, obviously over the years. And once the found footage thing happens, but there's something just, just really like you're seeing something you're not supposed to be seeing in, in that movie. Um, well, right. Especially and if, also, especially if like me, you were into the Freddie movies and then we're like, Oh, curious about what else Wes Craven has going on. And it's in a very different tenor than the the, the freddie movies it's a, it, it yes. works on a very different level and it's it's really disturbing and that, that's kind of but then then the trailer is hilarious because trailers from the 70s are usually pretty funny yeah i mean Wes craven made this the hills have eyes i mean he was i mean my but the thing that's sort of fascinating about him is he was at you know he was at three of the of the of the horror inflection points mm-hmm. in the history of horror and then kind of responsible for like a lot of the stuff that came after it. I mean, in the way that you sort of posit that this is basically like last house on the left. And, and I would say the Hills have eyes too. Yeah. Um, no, the Hills have eyes also. The original sorry. Hills have eyes. <laughs> uh, I mean, they're also movie, they're movies that sort of pre predict the found footage era that we're in now. Um, and also kind of in, and, and then the, the, the nightmare on Elm street movies predict this kind of, supernatural thing that won't die element too right like final destination or something like with the yeah the, the, the or like even the sinister and insidious movies where mm-hmm. like there's this tortured backstory and you know a plot that doesn't make any sense but the thing about the nightmare on elm street movies the first of which he wrote and the third of which he co-wrote with people like did you know this bruce wagner and frank darabont i didn't know darabont i knew bruce wagner because he's he's talked about it before but yeah that's but he didn't direct i mean craven no, didn't, no. he only he, he didn't he only directed the one movie and then he made well he came back for a new nightmare which is the very yes New Nightmare is the very meta installment of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. It's where Heather Langenkamp from who's the original Nancy. It's about Heather Langenkamp and her experience when Freddy leaves the realm of fiction and starts menacing her in real life. And like Wes Craven's in it and like Robert Englund is in it. And like John Saxon is in it. It's like, it's, yeah. yeah, it's, it's anybody great. who's seen the Babadook will be shocked to watch this movie now. Basically like it is, it is basically the Babadook. I'm not, I mean the, the not sleeping, the like crazy bad kid who might be possessed who also might like just have uh, uh, a disorder. It's the, the similarities, the, the idea that Freddie and the Babadook both have these creepy, these creepy, you know, s- nightmare characteristics it's it's a <laughs> it's a fascinating double feature i wonder how much jennifer kent who made the babadook saw this movie but i mean that's kind of how Wes craven was i mean he was involved he was he you know partially responsible for a lot of the the places that that horror movies went and um you know informed the the i mean the way in which we find things scary in a lot of ways like what about what is it about dreams it's scary there could be it isn't just that there's a killer in your dreams it's that the killer is there because your parents kind of put him there and in, in hoping to do the right thing by by the kids right because that's the that's the freddy uh backstory right is that right. the neighbors the neighbors all all got together 
did their thing to get rid of this, uh, you know, a, a guy who is a, a menace to children in the neighborhood. I mean, he's a pedophile, right? I mean, that was what. Yeah, I mean, that's that. That's always that's you know that was that's the story. And so they all what did they they locked him in the boiler room, set him on fire, something yeah, like that. Basically, Just, yeah. And so it's about it's about sort of the return of the you know original sin and the you know all all of that kind of stuff. So he made he made these movies, or he started this franchise. He did not return to it until he returned to it in kind of a meta way, which is setting up for the next inflection point that he's a part of, which is the meta horror. It's it because he directed Scream. Scream is where that thing of like horror movies for people who know, you know, featuring characters who know they're in a horror movie, like that's where, you know, that's where that all comes into it. You know, so he kind of like makes the slasher era and then sort of unmakes it because that's what those are. I mean, those are the, you know, those Scream movies kind of disassemble that whole thing. And yet there was a meta level that they were going to go to beyond that, which is the scary movie movies that come out of the Scream movies, which is really weird when you think about it, that that happened. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That there no, was I another mean, that we could deconstruct this further. We could take the pieces apart. Yeah, we've been talking for ninety minutes. We could probably spend ninety minutes talking about the uh, whatever happened with like after Scream yeah. to movies where you have all these sort of splintered like airplane style or Zucker Zucker Brother style um, parodies of it, but also then just le- the, the, the 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 like legitimate horror of the movies are you know scariness of the movies themselves um despite the cliches or or in spite of them yeah um, i mean these are the least that these were the they were really good for me at the age that i was at when these movies were coming out and he didn't make a lot of the ones that I, the first ones i saw i think the first one i saw was three which i believe is the bruce <laughs> wagner one <laughs> it's an accident no that actually a, is dream, that wrote, i think is the best of this is definitely the best of the sequel dream warriors is that dream a, warriors yeah music by docken um, music by Dokken. Yeah. Um, I like those. Yeah. No, I mean, they become like kind of almost like superhero movies because it's about eventually like they they bring the fight to Freddy and like that's what Dream Warriors is about. That was so exciting. It's, it's cool, right? And it's like, so it was a good bridge into horror movies if you were not sure that horror movies were not too scary for you. They're less scary than like Halloween movies. Like the original Halloween is really scary. And like there's something about Freddy that's almost because he's, you know, it's like I was like we've been thinking about this this week because of Hannibal, like, the, you know, that eventually like the TV show Hannibal is like undoing a bunch of stuff that happened with the Anthony Hopkins Hannibal becoming almost too likable and too funny, you know, mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. the course of then like, it's like, Oh, he's good. He said he has catchphrases and he's like, I'm having a good old friend for dinner. Like Freddie becomes the same way. And Freddie is almost like, it's like, Freddie's cool. If you're a kid, you can kind of get in there and like, so, you know, it's, it's, he's, he makes one is there's one liners and you know, it's like, everything. <laughs> yeah, but is did a, you appreciate those things as that at the time he was actually, I mean, I think the thing that was scary about him was that he had a personality. Like, yeah. you just... I mean, well, this become, was a guy who was like a showman about killing people. No, it's true, but that, I think, made it... It, it, was, it made it feel... It made it safer, because he was almost... By the time, like, I really got into this, and then I went back and saw the older ones and stuff, but by the time I got to this franchise, or this franchise found its way to me, he was almost like the Crypt Keeper, you know? Like, mm, he was just sort okay. of silly. He was silly. Yeah. He was funny. It was like, and it was like, you kind of want to see these people, you know, get killed in innovative ways and everything. Whereas it's like, there, he was not, like, Michael Myers was scarier for, like, Pinhead was scarier. Like, that was, you know, there's something about Freddy, even the, like, the idea of Freddy is 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 scary and he's burnt and all that stuff and like but it just he got he got progressively less terrifying yes no i mean as the movies went on yes by the time you're in in west craven's a new nightmare no i mean there's nothing scary about that movie and it's kind of camp and the thing that's supposed to be interesting about it is actually 
the the self commentary, um, which at the time was kind of new. Um, but anyway, I mean, it, we just sort of wanted to acknowledge that Wes Craven was important, and yeah, I'm gonna know, say even. I liked a lot of the non. I'm going to say I'm going to go for ride for some of the non franchise Wes Cravens. I like Deadly Friend. Deadly Friend. I did not mention that in the thing I wrote, but it's good. He didn't write that. He, he directed. Not. He it. directed yeah. Deadly Friend. I like that. I like Shocker. Um, Shockers. Okay, Shocker is <laughs> a weird one though, right? Because it's a total mood change. Yeah. It's kind of like I mean, it's a little bit like he saw Evil Dead and was like, I want to try something like that. I want to make a crazy over the top like Yeah, Shocker's like a Coen Brothers movie. Like weirdly. Yeah. Like it's it's got that it's got that characteristic. And then I love the one I love and then we're going to go uh and it, I think it just came out on Blu-ray. I think it's now it was, I think it may have been hard to find for a while, but uh from 1991 People Under the Stairs. Yeah. Yeah. Is a really interesting movie and a really interesting. It's not necess- It doesn't necessarily work as well as you kind of would want it to. No, it doesn't. But going back, it does not hold up as well as you exert. You want it. You want to go back and have it be the secret masterpiece, and it's not necessarily that. But it's a really interesting movie about sort of the you know the, the kind of the late late Reagan early Bush era and about sort of it, you know income. Housing, sh- how- that yeah. and show me a hero <laughs> double feature people under the stairs and show me a hero all right david simon's people <laughs> under the stairs would be so good yeah david yeah. simon doing a people under the stairs tv show which i believe was at simon some point in the works had a sense of humor this would this would be it <laughs> that's all it takes uh but yeah rest in peace rest in rest in peace Wes craven in our you you know haunt us in our dreams uh, so we're going to go out on a little more Miley Cyrus on this show. Let's do it. Let's just, let's take a stand. Let's, let's not, let's not do, do it, but we'll, uh, what do you want to do? Which one? Uh, this is, uh, this is uh space boots. I, th- I thought we would just ride out on a little, a little space boots. It's uh, the one that kind of sounds like a, it sounds like Klaus Nomi to me. Oh yeah. That's, that's funny. That's the, like the, the fifth song on the record. It's yeah. Good. I go deep, man. Miley Cyrus and the Flaming Lips. Who'd have thunk it? Really? All right. That's our show. We will uh, talk to you guys next week. Joe Fuentes, David Jacoby, Jim Cunningham. Thank you. Alex, thank you. Thank you, Wes. And thank you guys for sticking around for forever. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Thinking about driving around in your car. Thank you for listening to Grantland. To hear more Grantland shows in your earballs, subscribe to Grantland Sports and Grantland Pop Culture on iTunes. Or go to grantland.com and click on Podcasts.